Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of GUCast. This is Declan Murphy, urologist here at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. Afraid I'm not joined by Dr. Renu Epen. For those of you watching on YouTube, I've got an empty seat beside me because Renu is, I don't know, she's pottering around the hospital. She's doing something more important than being on the podcast, which is okay, I suppose. But she might storm in. So if she storms in, great. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm, I've left my phone behind or my keys behind without Renu here uh, driving the show beside me. So I'll do my best. Put up with me as best you can. But luckily, of course, I've got some fantastic guests uh, to entertain me. Uh, first of all, here in studio, a couple of friends of the podcast are coming back. Uh, Hello to uh, Dr. Shankar Siva, Associate Professor Shankar Siva. Hi, Shankar. Hi, how are you doing, Declan? Thanks for having me back. Not at all. Great to have you back. And uh, Dr. Aoife McVeigh, our registrar here at Peter Mac. Aoife, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Very good. So I can't believe it's even more technologically advanced our than studio. the last time. I know. Yeah, that's yes. what I said the last time. I didn't think it could go any farther and you just did it. Here we go. We got big <laughs> lights. So apparently you need big lights uh, these days. So... Yeah, it's part of the uh, professionalization of GUcast. We're raising our production mm. values, as they say in the business. Yeah, the lights don't get much bigger than our next guest. Oh, yes. Oh, what a segue. <laughs> <laughs> Is that our segue to our fantastic international guest? <laughs> Might be. I suppose we better do that. Why don't we do that? Let's introduce uh, our guest, Dr. Raina McKay, GU medical oncologist at uh, University of California, San Diego. Here she is, the big light. Hi, Raina. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. So great to be with you all today. There you, did you like that segue from Shanker? That was awesome. You guys clearly planned that. Yeah, yeah this is a, such a heavily rehearsed <laughs> podcast. That's right. Very heavily scripted. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us. Now, we'll get back to you in a minute. Um, and I will tell everyone who's listening not to tune out because this is not another prostate cancer podcast. You'll all be very pleased to hear. Uh, today, we're talking about Shanker. Radiotherapy and renal cell carcinoma. Would you believe it? I think I sense we just lost a lot of listeners. <laughs> Did you have to say it so brutally? No. I, I was just going to say like kidney cancer. With that. I thought that might just edge, you know. Well, we're talking about kidney cancer too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So as you might have seen in the title, we're talking about radiotherapy uh, for renal cancer. Really? Uh, and that's our theme today. So we've invited Shanker and Raina uh, to come and join us to talk about this fantastic topic. But before we do, Aoife, over to your uh, uh, irregularly regular segment about uh, what did you, what caught your eye on social media this week? <laughs> Yeah, so a few things actually caught my eye. Um, one of them I had thought about actually earlier in the week because it's something I've seen again and again, um, and I think they're amazing, and I often point like residents towards them, and I suppose consultants that are listening to this can point their residents towards them, but they're the urology cheat sheets that the EAU produce. They're just normally just one file, one sorry, one page of PDF on various urology topics. And it's just a really good resource for, I know I used to print it off for my flexi clinic to remember the, you know, surveillance guidelines and, you know, how to uh, identify different risks. Um, and yeah, I am the hashtag for that is hashtag EAU urology cheat sheets. Um, and they normally update them um, as the guidelines get updated as well. Um, so yeah, just a really good resource. What a nice little tidbit. Mm. Yeah, the, yeah, you have this uh, guidelines dissemination committee. Um, it's part of the guidelines committee because the guidelines are so big now. It's, so, it's such an enormous venture that they have a separate dissemination committee to coordinate how they output all that mm -hmm. stuff because the, the main files, especially on the big cancers, are enormous. So part of their messaging is to have a separate committee to look after dissemination. So I suppose uh, EAU urology cheat sheets might be part of that yeah. dissemination thing. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's probably okay. not purely guidelines, but it's, uh, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Good. they're great. What else? Um, on that line, uh, I've seen the hashtag EAU50. I'm not sure if you've seen that going along. So oh it's yeah. the 50th Golden Jubilee. So they're, um, 
they're starting to share like sort of the history of the the conference and the congress and yeah it's pretty pretty nice so i like all that sort of history of urology stuff there's another twitter page i think it is called history of urology and it says on this date this happened that sort of a thing so yeah if, if you're interested have a couple of moments in the train or something and want to have a read of the history it's good uh, and they have a good history section yeah. haven't they yeah. and um, of course urology is one of the oldest surgical specialties and some of the brutal uh, surgical instruments that yeah. were used yeah. in the pre-anesthetic day for stones and all sorts of obstruction are fascinating to see to read about there's some great yeah. Uh, yeah, Twitter feeds doing the history of urology as well so yeah good I bet you there were some nice locations for EAU meetings over the last 50 years yeah yeah, I think it's been heaps. I think one of the first ones they said was in Amsterdam whenever it first started to get up, but don't quote me on that. And yeah. <laughs> check it. It's always a good meeting. My favourite meeting, as everybody knows. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think what else. I've seen them. Um, oh, this is actually, I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about benign conditions on this podcast or not, or benign surgeries, but uh, one of the urologists I'd seen had done this amazing animation on Holep. So he does it on, like I think it's a clip art app where you take a, a draw a picture um, for each slide and then put it together and it makes an animation and it's a really nice um, way of uh, describing how you do the whole lap procedure for patients. Um, and I wonder if it's something that we could do down the line for prostatectomies and things, but I'll, I'll send you the link and maybe you can share it on the video um, so people can see it only lasts a few seconds. But that was a Gumas Urologica um, in Milan and Italy. That's the, his Twitter name, but again, I'm sure we can tag it. Fantastic. Yep. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Sorry, that's heaps. Probably more than I normally get. So yeah. I'll stop talking now. <laughs> and, and and no Kardashian news this week? Oh, well, I just, you know, um, Kim actually got together with Pete in the time that I was <laughs> I was on the podcast last, Pete um, Davidson, um, famously also dated lots of other beautiful women. and But now they've, they've split up again. So we'll just have to watch, watch this space for who she moves on to next. Yep. I know everyone will be eager to know. We uh, will watch the space as well. <laughs> not, not the sure purposeful silence. Oh, <laughs> I have nothing to add to the conditions, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about them before, Shaggy. You uh, sound like a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got the names wrong, so I'm not sure I'm the expert on this. Yeah, okay. Um, on to more nonsense. Renal <laughs> cancer and radiation, <laughs> I suppose. Is that another segue? Doesn't I think so. That works. Um, Aoife, thanks very much. Have Thank you. you. Yep, you I have to. We're actually going and removing a kidney tumor downstairs in theater. So <gasps> with keep radiation. it on theme. Keep it on theme. Keep it on theme. Not, right. not with radiation, but right. we'll see. All right. Good. Great to see you. Thank thanks you. very much. Yeah. Uh, yeah so on to, on to the, the main course, uh, we're going to have a talk about renal cancer and radiation. And look, I suppose um, uh, Shankar and Raina, as we were chatting about this in the build up to it, I was just you know, reminding myself of my not that distant past when the idea of doing radiation for renal cancer was just nuts. You know, everybody knew radiation doesn't work for renal cancer. Renal cancer is radio resistant. So radiation to the primary uh, was always just something that was immediately dismissed in my early training, certainly. Um, so what I wanted to ask you, first of all, Shankar, was uh, how did we get to this point uh, nowadays where this is a, a really serious, um, a serious proposition uh, for certain renal cancers, um, first of all. And then, you know, second, what we want to talk to both yourself and Raina about is some of the absolutely fantastic trials that are underway that, that you, you and your colleagues are involved with. So how did we get here? Yeah, very interesting question. So I don't think it's that uh, common a misconception to consider that radiation um, or renal cell carcinoma is uh, radio resistant. In fact, uh, most of the studies that were 
considering perhaps that we could use radiation therapy in renal cell. It actually came from in vitro studies in the 1990s at Stanford. And typically speaking, conventional radiotherapy has very little cell kill for kidney cancer, but we're starting to understand using larger doses per fraction of radiation, uh, we are seeing things like a logarithmic type of cell kill with that type of uh, treatment delivery. The issue is that we've never been able to do that safely. So in the past, uh, when we're giving radiation treatment um, with older techniques, we struggle to get sufficient dose in without causing side effects. And now with the advent of stereotactic radiation, uh, and that be that way they call it SBRT or the way we call it SABRE here, um, those treatments are showing real promise in terms of both local control in the definitive setting. There's advantages potentially with synergy with immunotherapy and exploration in the metastatic setting as well. So it's a brave new world. So it's the biology of the fact this this large dose is hypofractionation saber. That's what's made the difference. And and is there a good biological rationale for that? Does it make sense why suddenly this is a, a something that should kill kidney cancer? Yeah, so I alluded to these um, in vitro studies from Stanford. So basically what the investigators did um, was Ning and colleagues in 1995 did this study, uh, really simple, had um, cell survival curves of two of the most common human cell, uh, renal cell carcinoma cell lines. That's the A498 and the Kaki-1 cell lines. When we use conventional radiotherapy with doses of two grade per fraction or less, it's basically a real big shoulder on the survival curve. So there's a little bit of dose causes very little cell kill. But when we're talking about six grade per fraction or higher, uh, which is quite a lot, we typically use two grade per fraction or less in, in uh, standard radiotherapy, then we're talking about logarithmic cell kills. The issue with that is that six grade per fraction is quite high, uh, and we can't really do that safely with our standard treatments, where we often give multiple treatments five days a week for several weeks at a time. Uh, so the the advent of these new technologies such as SABE, SBRT, stereotactic radiosurgery, these are things that are allowing us to actually deliver these very high doses of radiation very accurately. And in the context of primary kidney cancer, um, since about 2012 when we've started our program, but even earlier than that in the Karolinski Institute, there have been some really promising studies showing good outcomes and good control with these uh, approaches. Yeah, so there you go, Raina. That's a, a quick snapshot of how the radiation oncologist started muscling in on this territory. Um, uh, but of course, being very multidisciplinary as you are, as we are, uh, we understand that the best way to start considering some of these good questions like which tumours in the prostate, in the kidney may be managed like this. I couldn't, I couldn't resist it, could I? <laughs> the kidney, kidney, the other one. Yeah. Um, uh, could be appropriately managed. And, and very importantly, what other synergy, synergy may there be with uh, other approaches? So how did you get interested in radiation for kidney cancer? So honestly, I think the landscape for kidney cancer has been really changing over the last um, several years. And I think, you know, historically, we would offer cytoreductive nephrectomy for patients who had advanced disease. And with the data coming out regarding the Permina trial, the CERTIME trial, really calling into question the role of cytoreductive nephrectomy in the context of advanced disease, I think, I think a lot of us in the field began to rethink what is the role of surgery for people with advanced disease. And, you know, I think even prior to that time, there's always been a consideration for radiation, um, you know, for multiple indications in kidney cancer. So to name off the few, for people who are, have a contraindication for surgery, they've got bilateral tumors, they've got, you know, um, you know, contraindications to undergo surgery, radiation to a primary tumor could be an effective strategy. We've also historically used radiation for palliative purposes, for controlling brain metastases, bone metastases, and those sorts of things. I think in the context of 
oligometastatic disease and oligoprogressive disease, I think the field has been evolving to employ radiation therapy in the context of people who have one or two or three, you know, isolated metastases and actually delay delay the time to systemic therapy. And then also the reverse for people who are on an effective systemic therapy, but may have one or two sites that are progressing and resistant, though the remaining sites are in a state of response or they're stable, there's an indication there. So I think the field has sort of shifted um, into thinking about the application of um, radiation therapy in these multiple disease settings. And I think more recently, sort of the Carmina study being reported out in 2018, again, kind of moving us away from surgery, I think really opened up an opportunity for us to think, well, is there another um, local therapy strategy that could be deployed? And could there be synergistic activity with immunotherapy, um, potentially even targeted therapy? Um, there's been a series of studies that um, have looked at um, the combination of those two strategies with radiation. Yeah, and I suppose I recall your initial prospective studies here fast-tracking those where you were taking patients that were surgically inoperable for medical reasons. Traditionally, these patients were just not fit to take to the OR. Is it still fair to say that it's predominantly those patients that you're treating with SABRE? So in other words, patients who are fit for a nephrectomy and whom a nephrectomy or partial nephrectomy might be considered a standard of care. Radiation is not directly challenging that at the moment in our tumor board we seem to be still favoring surgery or ablative approaches um in combination with saber but i've clearly seen a shift as the data has emerged that you know saber is now rising well up the list but still not directly competing with surgical excision for fit patients with localized disease yeah i think i think that's a fair comment we're winding back to the primary setting i think Raina was mentioning a few of the uh, oligometastatic and metastatic indications where there is established roles for these type of stereotactic radiations or even conventional palliative radiotherapy but in the primary setting for primary rcc i I don't see it as a necessarily competitive technique there are uh, our initial studies we were treating for patients who are not um, suitable candidates for surgery who might have been high risk for a risk of dialysis, for example, or had um, um, medically inoperable or potentially just uh, declined surgery. And um, the outcomes that we're finding from that initial series of studies back in 2012 are very promising. And as you probably know, we have a, um, a multi-centre study uh, called Fast Track 2, which is not very inventive, but uh, that's from uh, the Trans-Tasman Radiation Oncology Group. We're hoping to read out some results within the next six months or so. Uh, that recruited three years ago. Um, and so we're just getting the medium follow-up up now. So in that setting... I think it's very complementary to surgery. Um, the real question is where does it fit with thermal ablation? Uh, because SABRE has the capacity to treat larger tumours, typically over four centimetres in size, whereas thermo- thermal ablation, including cryotherapy or radiofrequency ablation, becomes more challenging in those tumours that are close to the renal pelvis or uh, tumours that have um, uh, are larger because the complication rates get higher and multiple treatments are often required. Um, so, you know, in our multidisciplinary board, when we see uh, these patients, we often discuss uh, all of the options. Um, since 2022, we have uh, SABRE for primary RCC recommended in the NCCN guidelines. There's new ASTRA RCC guidelines, uh, as well, ASCO RCC guidelines that have had some recommendations for metastatic RCC. And hopefully the EAU guidelines will, uh, will catch up in the future too. But there's certainly in- an indication and it's guideline recommended now. I reread the EAU guidelines this morning and they're still understandably cautious saying awaiting further prospective data. So it doesn't actually get a recommendation, but that's probably realistic as well, isn't it? Um, although we tend to be using it quite 
a lot more enthusiastically than a few years ago, I think, Shankar. Now, Renu has joined us. Those of you watching on YouTube just saw she popped in. Hello, I welcome. I heard there was this interesting discussion going on. So I just before you go down to theatre and <laughs> take out some kidney tumour. <laughs> exactly. Should we give radiotherapy instead? Yeah, no. Is that no, what you're talking about? One. Yeah, that's right. No, no, we're, we're being very uh, reasonable here. And uh, Raina's on the f- line from San Diego. Hello. Nice to see you. The oh, famous Raina. So, Hello, thank you for having me. So one of the questions that, um, uh, well, we always have, surgeons certainly have, everyone has, I suppose, in looking at a renal tumor, it's often in a single kidney, it's had an effrectomy already, maybe a sink, we had one this morning in the tumor board yeah. is, yeah, just remind us, what is the local toxicity uh, for Sabre nowadays uh, uh, to, um, uh, how do you select a big chunky kidney, small chunky kidney having, a, having radiation? So in summary, because that used to be one of the things that put everybody off as well, not just that traditional radiation didn't work, but also there was renal toxicity. So from a renal function perspective, we've actually published uh, multi-centre data from this from the International Radio Surgery Oncology Consortium, looking at multiple uh, cases, about 200 uh, or so from across the, uh, the globe. Um, overall, the renal function rates of loss are, are relatively cons- uh, low. So on average, if you put a rough rule of thumb, it's about 7.5 mils per minute of EGFR uh, that we see in the longer term. And it climbs up to about 10 and around about two or three years down down the track. In the solitary kidney, it's pretty similar. So the reason it, I can see that is because in the in the patients who've got bilateral kidneys, they often have other medical comorbidities that can cause renal function decline on their own, and therefore they're just a bit more crumbly. The patients that we see with a solitary kidney after a prior nephrectomy are often younger and fitter, and they tend to preserve their renal function pretty well, even though we're treating a solitary kidney. So on average, it's about that 7 to 10 mils EGFR rate. The toxicities from um, uh, another perspective, we do see uh, the occasional bowel stricture. That's a less than 5% risk. Um, and then flank pain, which I counsel my patients about 5 to 10% risk as well. But overall, it's really well tolerated and, you know, good outcomes. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you. I think the data stacks that up. Is that the consortium? Is that the IROC uh, consortium? Goodness <laughs> me. Um, so, Raina, yeah, is that your take? Did this seems to be well tolerated um, uh, from a toxicity point of view? It's not preventing you from being able to offer these patients systemic treatments? No, it, it's pretty well tolerated. I think uh, it's not invasive. So, I think that's another difference with ablative therapies, which, you know, you have to percutaneously access the tumor. Um, so, I think there can be risk associated with that. And, you know, certainly Shankar could speak a little bit more to this than I can, but using uh, DVH parameters, really there's kind of very strict criteria to minimize toxicity to the bowel. I think the unique thing too about where the kidney sits in the abdomen, you know, it's in the retroperitoneum. It tends to be far away from um, a lot of critical structures, I think. Um, So, you know, that those things kind of basically make it um, uh, really a palatable option for, especially in the localized setting when somebody is really not a candidate for surgery, does not really want to go down that route, that could be an option. And um, certainly thinking about application in the context of, uh, you know, people with systemic disease. There's been a series of now studies with, um, you know, TKI-based treatment for feeding the primary and other metastatic sites, and now a series also with IO-based therapy, really demonstrating pretty minimal um, grade 3 and higher toxicity with uh, SBRT. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And I think it's so great to have this uh, technique, um, uh, you know, in, in the armamentarium to, to treat kidney cancer. And Shankar, I've certainly referred quite a few patients to you for Sabre of, of renal lesions. And, and the reason I think it's important for this sort of data to get out there is that a lot of people think that when patients are referred for something like Sabre, all of a sudden now you're palliating the situation and they're not a candidate anymore for, for curative treatment. And that's just not the case, is it? 
No, and often we've um, we've um, saved the option of salvage nephrectomy down the track. Mm. Um, doesn't happen that often, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, but it is always a, a, an option down the track. And uh, Shankaran Raina, in your opinion, who are the patients who are not good candidates for this? What are the sort of lesions, and who are the sort of patients that you wouldn't that you wouldn't think are ideal for this? Perhaps Raina, do you want to talk maybe in the cytoreductive setting? Wh- which patients would you think would not be good? Sure. You know, I think. Um, in the cytoreductive setting for people who have widespread metastatic disease, if, if their systemic disease is out of check, you know, it doesn't really make sense. I think in the, in the context of people with systemic disease that are on immunotherapy or doublet therapy, if they're doing well and have had a great outcome and you're thinking of sort of strategizing their therapy, can they get sort of cytoreduction with radiation? I think those patients are good candidates. But I think in the context of people who are not having their systemic disease in, in control, it's really hard to really think about offering them radiation to the primary. I think also for people that are really struggling with a lot of side effects just from their systemic therapy, um, and there isn't an indication for them to receive therapy for their uh, renal tumor, I think those people are not um, you know, great candidates. Maybe they're having colitis from their co- combo IOTKI. Um, they've got bowel next to the kidney, and then you're kind of you know, why, why am I offering them um, radiation to their primary? So I think in those settings, I tend to defer. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, those are the considerations for systemic disease patients. Yeah, so I'll address the, the primary setting. So I think patients who are clearly operable, um, who are fit and young and can and um, have a, a primary lesion without any metastatic disease, I think those patients should be considered for a partial nephrectomy whenever possible. When there are patients who have needed, say, a total nephrectomy to address their disease, uh, radical nephrectomy, and we have other comorbidities or potential issues with pre-existing uh, chronic kidney disease, then these patients you may consider for SABRE. Um, and for the smaller tumours, I think that's that's one I'm I'm not super enthused about. I think uh, outcomes with maybe patients who are a little bit older who have uh, smaller lesions for either active surveillance, thermal ablation, sabre, or um, partial nephrectomy, they're all great approaches. So, you know, I, I'm not so fussed about that group. I'm, I'm more interested in the patients who really need those treatments to be able to uh, survive longer. The kidney moves a bit on respiration, doesn't it? So, uh, and I remember yes. years ago you showing me these nice uh, cine MRI movies of the <laughs> kidneys uh, moving, and the, you had, I don't know, you had some complicated planning, but it was dramatic how much the kidney was moving on cine MRI. So, how d- how does that work in Sabre? Yeah, we normally get a urologist there to push on the abdomen <laughs> while we're in there just to make sure it doesn't move. Um, yeah, exactly. No, uh, that is a complicating factor. There are lots of technical issues. Uh, Sabre for the kidney is not easy. It's one of the more challenging treatments that we do have for uh, when we talk about Sabre in general. Um, but one of the things that we do look at is motion management. So there's several different strategies for that. One we use here often is actually a vacuum compression. So the patients get a bit of a cling wrap on top to keep them uh, a bit more immobile. And uh, the other option we can do is gating. So switching the beam on and off when the tr- tumour is in the right spot and the kidney's you know, frozen in motion. So how, but how do you see the kidney moving? We, we have cone beams, we have, we have CT imaging on the machine, which yeah. allows us to take pictures of the kidney uh, while the patient's breathing. We have infrared markers on the, on the patient's surface and that tracks their breathing, which is also surrogate for the kidney. There are newer technologies as well. Um, yeah, there are um, technologies that require uh, marker placement, so things like CyberKnife can be used to actually track the tumour as well. The issue with that is that these tumours are he- uh, often um, hemorrhagic, so sticking things in them is not ideal. 
Um, so, you know, I tend not to prefer those approaches. And finally, there's the MRLINAC, which is showing a lot of promise because also that is able to image at the same time as treating. Raina, um, do you always get a renal biopsy before referring for SABRE or is that – how do you how important do you think it is? Oh, very good question. I think if we don't have a tissue diagnosis, I do – try to get a tissue diagnosis. I think knowing the type of tumor that they have, you know, a lot, not to say a lot of times, very rarely, sometimes these come back as a urethelial cancer if they're kind of misplaced. So I do always like to try to get a biopsy, understand the histology, understand the grade, understand, you know, is it a clear cell RCC? Is it an unclassified, poorly differentiated carcinoma? So I do think that that is, um, you know, if there is no other tissue diagnosis, I do refer for one. Yeah, because, you know, for partial nephrectomy, often, we, you know, we obviously have histology and, you know, if we're doing a percutaneous treatment, such as a cryo or radiofrequency ablation, they'll often do a biopsy at the same time. So this, is, this would be one situation where you'd biopsy first and then refer. So you also, the pair of you, published a very nice review in European Urology last month uh, overviewing this area, you and William Hall, and I can't remember what other, a really, really nice piece. Um, so I thought that's... If for those out there, we'll put a, a link in the show notes. But that is, if you want to read a little bit about how we got to where Sabre is today in kidney cancer and where we're going, European Urology, beautiful review uh, with uh, Shankar and Reina. But do you want to summarize, you reported, for example, the local control rates uh, in that uh, for the, the primary and also for brain mets and stuff like that. Shankar, do you want to just uh, uh, remind us what, uh, what you reported, if you can uh, recall? Yes, so I think the data is pretty consistent across all the different sites. From a local control rate, uh, when we talk about local control rate, one and two years, it's above 90%, typically about the 95% rate. And the grade three toxicity rates from these treatments are also pretty low. It's around the 5% rate. Um, and this is depend, you know, on, across all the different body sites that we treat uh, as well. I think one of the things that we need to uh, look at in the long term is try to get long-term data from um, any kind of uh, ablative techniques. We don't really have very good long-term data either for RFA, cryotherapy, or even SABRE in a prospective setting. So it's really important for us to be able to capture this long-term data from the primary. Um, there's better data in the metastatic setting, but again, the, the patients may not survive as long to us, for us to be able to capture that data. And you mentioned that it's tricky. So when we think of things that are tricky, like sent into specialist centres, Sabre technology is becoming more, more and more widely available. So should these only be done in specialist centres? Or if anyone's got Sabre and some experience with Sabre for other things, lung and prostate stuff? Um, it's a very good question. Um, so I, I get emails a lot from internationally about patients, uh, other clinicians sending through potential cases that they may be considering for Sabre for the kidney. Uh, it is a new in, newish indication in a lot of centres, and so I do encourage everyone to contact um, someone with experience to get some advice. We were able to roll out a quite a good quality assurance program with our TROG uh, Transesmal Radiation Oncology Group study, uh, and that allowed to bring, uh, bring up a lot of clinicians up to speed in this technique ar around Australia. Um, so it is potentially tricky and I think one thing you can do is really easily get nervous and underdose the tumour because uh, of its location. Uh, so for primary kidney cancer, I would really encourage people to reach out, get some protocols, get some uh, understanding, get some experience mm. and join NRG trials. Uh, there's a very nice NRG trial coming up that would be a really good approach to get your quality assurance and get your contouring up to speed and, and treatments up to speed. And we definitely want to talk about that. So what's the dose? What roughly are you aiming for? Is this all single fraction or? We use two approaches, um, single fraction for uh, tumours of less than four centimetres in size and 42 grain, three fractions for larger tumours. And that's pretty standard. Does it work for cystic tumours? It 
does. Uh, I think the problem is the cystic tumours, uh, it, it treats the solid component of the cystic tumours. So the cyst will always be there, it'll always look like that, but the solid component will be the bit that we treat. And, and Raina, you work with uh, some fantastic radiation oncologists. You've got a big team there, uh, Tyler Siebert and uh, your colleague and co. Uh, they're very up to speed on this, uh, this program and very enthusiastic, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's been great. And I, I uh, really want to piggyback on what Shanker had to say about the NRG trial. I think what's so great about trials like this is this trial is actually doing real-time uh, treatment plan reviews for all patients that are undergoing um, radiation. And so it really is a good opportunity to actually get up to speed with the planning, have sort of a, you know, our team of radiation oncologists, Shanker being one of them, will kind of do those reviews in real time and turn it around to the treating uh, clinician and just as a quality control. Um, and I think, you know, just trials like that are being open across academic and community sites really to actually help, um, you know, bring this technology um, uh, to, uh, you know, not have it be something that's just a niche thing, um, but with training, with the uh, appropriate quality control, it can be implemented a little bit more broadly. So that's the Samurai trial. Yeah. Yes. Do you want to tell? So we'll yeah. put it. I know. I feel like I need to. I know. I feel like I need to make like so, a hand motion. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So go back a bit. I could see there was a lot of excitement when that trial got uh, initiated. Uh, NRG trial. Can you just tell us a bit about that patient population, Reina, and uh, what's the what's the goal? Because that's a this is a classic multidisciplinary trial mm-hmm. combining uh, uh, different modalities, isn't it? Yeah, and it's actually the first uh, trial of radiation therapy. Um, to the kidney um, uh, in the metastatic setting through the any of the cooperative groups. Um, so it's really kind of, I think, a landmark trial. The goal of the trial is really trying to cite or reduce in the context of people with intermediate and poor-risk renal cell carcinoma who are not candidates for upfront uh, cytoreductive nephrectomy who are receiving um, you know, doublet uh, therapy that is at the choice of the clinician. So the trial will allow patients to receive nevo ipi or any one of the other IO-VEGF um, combinations. Patients will be randomized two to one to receive uh, radiation to the primary, um, given it 42 gray over uh, three fractions um, versus uh, just systemic therapy. And the systemic therapy can be initiated um, prior to the uh, uh, SABRE treatment and then will be held uh, during the course of the SABRE treatment and then um, resumed thereafter. So I think it's a great trial. The primary endpoint is um, uh, radiographic progression-free survival. We will be tracking patients who undergo subsequent nephrectomy for any reason as part of the protocol and actually embedding that into the primary endpoint as an event, um, you know, at the, uh, you know, indications of NCI and GU steering. So we're really excited about this uh, protocol, um, looking at lots of quality of life endpoints, looking at, um, you know, baseline archival specimens and looking at correlates of response to radiation as well. Wow. Yeah, that's superb, isn't it? So that's Exciting like going stuff. back to rechallenge the role of local control as the mm. uh, the, the cytoreductive studies, you know, Carmina changed everything when that came out, really challenged us to think, well, you know, maybe we weren't helping a lot of those patients when yeah. we were doing nephrectomies, as it turns out, you know, it definitely was a big practice change when that happened, but it's very important to go back in, I think, and see local control on that primary. And of course, we know maybe select patients, of course, will still have a cytoreductive nephrectomy, but I think this is a great trial. I, I must say, I think it's one of the one of the best trials I've seen open this year. And the other thing is, it may not just be the SATA reduction or the local control component. I mean, we, we are seeing some synergy with immunotherapy with stereotactic radiation. You know, um, we had our own study here at Peter Mac called Rapport that was published yeah. in European Urology uh, earlier this year in April. 
uh, made the front cover, which is um, <laughs> was very excited about. Told everybody, including the dog. Um, <laughs> and so the you know that kind of study we, we could show very good synergy with local control and uh, a low toxicity with the additive toxicity of the radiation and immunotherapy. That's consistent with other studies, like the toxicity piece is pretty well spoken for. Like, there's not a lot of additive toxicity with immunotherapy and radiation, or even TK and radiation. What we are uh, uh, really interested in is that systemic synergy, and I think you know that piece needs to be uh, spoken for in larger randomized trials. Yeah. Wow. What do you call that imaginary thing again, where radiation reveals absorbable effect. effect? That's right. That's what. There we say it. We said it. <laughs> it's a radiation unicorn. Right? A lot of hand waving. Imaginary right? effect. <laughs> it is funny. It's an imaginary thing, though, isn't it? <laughs> but I do think it's worthy of investigation in a prospective fashion. Yeah, definitely. Look, hopefully, there's a few radons out there, and somebody will be outraged enough to, you know, email us and tweet us and say, "Let me show, send you all the data on the <laughs> upscope effect." It's not imaginary, but I think it's imaginary. I don't think it is. Um, so look, that that is, that's fantastic. That's a great trial. I'm I'm very yeah. enthusiastic, and that is an NRG trial. So just the US um, uh, uh, sites, Reina. No, I think uh, the hope is that we're actually going to open it in Australia as well, and um, potentially, uh, uh, I. I think possibly also Canada as well. So there's another trial called Cytoshrink that right now is enrolling yes. in, in Canada. Um, and that's being run. I think the PI is Ali Kondalani. Um, what's unique about that trial is it's only being done with the combination of nivolumab plus ipilimumab. So our trial is a little bit larger and will allow for the other IO-VEGF combinations. But actually, we've been collaborating very closely with a Cytoshrink team. And even hopefully at the end of the day, we can analyze the data for both of these trials together and kind of learn from each other. Yeah. Is Cytoshrink open in Australia? We've got that here. It, it is, yeah. We're in the only centre out of Canada that's mm. open at the moment. So. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. And great to hear you're all going to work together on that and we'll get that data. It's like the kidney dream team. Awesome. <laughs> no, it is great though. <laughs> Love it. We, we, we Love should, it. We should do more kidney yeah, stuff. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm sure everyone else agrees. Just, why do we do so much prostate cancer on this bloody podcast? <laughs> Might have to do it you, Declan, maybe. Maybe do it me, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it is great to talk about other GU cancers to see this great stuff uh -huh. ongoing. And, and uh, congrats, Raina and Shankar on that. Absolutely. So uh, great messages. Yeah, there's a reason why it's no, no longer radiation for renal cancer, really, as we were sort of mocking yeah. ourselves. That it really is emerging. And even though guidelines are not fully uh, embedding it as a strong recommendation, clearly we've seen that there are select patients. This definitely works and is well tolerated. And it's very, very exciting to see big trials like this getting going yeah, to really definitely. cement the role and I'm sure that's this uh, that we're well on the way to uh, all that stuff emerging into high quality evidence to change guidelines so well done to everyone involved in that field out there. watch this space great well and uh, Raina thank you for joining us uh, it's been great of to have course. you on, um, on, the, on the podcast when you've never been to Australia you told us beforehand so we'd, uh, we'd love to have I, you down I have here. not yeah. No, my, my daughter's name is Sydney, so we got to make it up. Ah, yes. My daughter's <laughs> name is Sydney. There you go. You were thinking about that. So yeah. we're going to go down. Just there. toss up between Sydney and Melbourne, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Melbourne, Adelaide. Mel Melbourne, Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, look, we'll send you a care package. We'll send you a fantastic. Oh, awesome. Great. Look, uh, thanks so much. Uh, well done to everyone who's been involved in this. Shankar, thanks as ever for coming in and, um, and, and talking to us about this topic. It's been very enjoyable, hasn't it? Really has. Yeah. Great topic. Great. If you've got other um, stuff you'd like us to talk about, of course, we uh, we love to hear suggestions of stuff to talk about on GUcast. Always want to talk about something that's not prostate cancer. <laughs> so please just send us your suggestions. Raina, have a good day and thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.